From our 901 Mission Street studios, you are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Peter Hartlob, pop culture critic for The Chronicle, and welcome to the Daybook Podcast. Welcome back to Movies with Mick LaSalle. Mick LaSalle. Hi, Peter. It's good to be here. You're talking about January movies today and yeah. a few other things. I wanted to ask you, though, if no one told you the date, would you know what time of year it is just from the movies coming out? You know, that's, that's an interesting question, and I think I could. I mean, to, to make it fair, I'd have to not know what the December movies were, and I'd have to just go, like, just like fly in on a time machine and I think I would figure it out it, would, it might take like four or five movies but the thing that would would tip it off it would be the combination of great foreign films really really crazy bad American films and then great American films and it was like I said well, well obviously this can't be the summer can't be the summer so yeah it must be January I'm looking forward to your take on January movies and thoughts about how the current political climate has changed movies we're seeing. Leba Hertz returns. Datebook Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, everybody. This is Mick LaSalle, and welcome to the Movies with Mick LaSalle. And I am here with my editor, Leba Hertz. Hi, Leba. Hi, everybody. So we're going to be talking about January movies, which are kind of in a special category. And we're also going to be talking a little bit about the influence of, uh, well, I guess the influence of Donald Trump on making movies better uh, than they've been in a while. Right, and that dealing with also coming into award season. But, you know, talking about January movies, I, I hear you saw a terrific movie last night, um, uh, especially, boy. you know, because the thing is, January movies tend to be better than you think. And, and last night, I, I just understand you saw a great one. Well, you know, January movies usually aren't better than you think. They're just more interesting because they're bad in in very committed and, and usually original ways. Because January is a dumping ground, but it's a different kind of dumping ground than August. August is when people tried to make a tried to make a commercial movie. It didn't work, so they dump in in August. January, they tried to make a great movie. Oh boy, it didn't work, and they dump it in January. And so that's what happens. So you get like real freak show kind of movies. And I was wondering because I had thought I heard good things. Maybe it was only about Split, but I thought I heard good things about M Night uh, Shyamalan's. Is that how you pronounce it? Shyam. Shamal, Sham, yeah, Shamal. Anyway, I've been pronouncing it this way. Shyamalan. Shyamalan. Yeah, I hear people say Shyamalan. That guy, Shyamalan. Anyway, uh, I've been hearing good things about it, or I thought I had. Maybe I was just hearing good things about his previous movie, Split, which, um, which did get a good review from from uh, our main man, Peter Hartlob. Mm-hmm. But um, this movie was terrible, and the movie is mm-hmm. called Glass. And it's kind of a sequel to Split, and it's kind of a sequel to Unbreakable, but it really is just dreadful. Just it's just so bad, and um, so you know that's what I said in the review. You know, yeah. somebody well, had to do it. Well, some of the January movies, for example, are the movies that are Oscar eligible that they only showed in New York and Los Angeles, and one of them that's right. is. Uh, uh, I think is going to be at least nominated for best foreign picture is uh, Cold War, which just uh, opens. Uh, uh, this week. That's right. We don't even have the nominations for the Oscars yet. I, sh- mm-hmm. I should realize that. Yeah, I've, I've just been in, in my mind, I've just been assuming that 
that Cold War is nominated. It's definitely going to be nominated. And I think it, it, it could win. Uh, I think they changed something about the way the, um, about the foreign films are voted. I'm not 100% sure. But if they haven't, the way foreign films are voted is that everybody who votes for foreign film has to go to a theater and see each one individually and make sure that they've seen all five and then they get the right to vote. And that's why some of the foreign film choices are really, really good. And so this year it's going to be between Cold War and Roma. And because Roma can't be nominated in two categories, I believe it can't be nominated for Best Film and Best Foreign Film, I think. I, I know two performances can't be nominated for supporting and for you know, actor or actress. Mm. So I think it's going to be nominated in one of those two categories. And if, if Roma isn't nominated for Best Foreign Film, Cold War, I think, is going to win because it's, it's just really, it's a very fine film. And I, I guess I should say something about why it's good. Yes, go ahead. But right back to Roma, the thing is, I do know Mexico, it has been shortlisted for foreign, and Mexico did submit it for Best Foreign Film. So I don't know what that means, but well, there you go. Well, it, what will happen, this is how it works for the acting categories. I'm not sure if this is how it works for anything else. But what happens, but I'm pretty sure it, it is how it works. What happens is they'll look, and if, um, if it got you know, a ton of nominations, if it got more nominations for foreign film, then it won't be nominated for Best picture but if it got more for best picture it won't be nominated for foreign film that's how it usually works so we'll see um cold war is set in poland and there's an actress in it uh, named uh, joanna kulig who i've been liking for years um and nothing ever happens you know nothing ever happens to her career she's usually in supporting roles and she's usually very good and and she usually plays people who are kind of quiet and placid and and nice. And in this movie, she gets to play somebody who is just really on fire the whole movie. And she, boy, she just has that role to pieces. She's just great. And so I think she's going to be now, uh, a, you know, a major star of international cinema. Nice thing about uh, Joanna Coolidge too, and this is how I know of her initially, is that she speaks French fluently. Oh. So she's been in French films. That's how I first knew who she was. Mm. Yeah, it's not like I'm an expert on far, on Polish cinema. It, it's just that she intersected with some of the French movies I've seen, and then I started notice, noticing her turning up in, in Polish movies. So, you know, at the very least, she could be in Polish films. But these people, they all speak English, so she may you may see her in some American films, too. I, I, would, I would be surprised if you didn't, actually. Her, her performance is so multi-layered in this movie, as, as well as the leading man. Um, yeah. I had it in my top ten films of the year, uh, hands down. It wasn't even like a, a toss-up for me on that. Yeah. it's uh, You consider how much that director does in the course of 88 mm-hmm. minutes. Because when you think back on that movie, you think back on something that, that has almost the... Almost, you think about them almost like the way you think about people you know. Um, you know, with characters, usually if you can't figure them out, it's because they're inconsistent and they don't make sense. But actually, people in real life, you don't really fully know them. You can't really know everything about them because people are complicated. And this movie, the people are confounding, but they're confounding in the way that hu- that people are confounding, not in the way that characters are just confusing. It's so you think back at them as though you really know them. It's 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 kind of a, it's a wonderful thing, it really is. 
I'm just wondering, should we start now with the movies that are like really good because of Donald Trump, or well, what should we go somewhere else first? Why don't we go somewhere else? We had some interesting movies last week, didn't we? Had we? Stan and Ollie and Destroyer. Yeah. Now, yeah, those those are are okay. Stan and Ollie is an example of a January movie that is in the in the category of January movies. that were really December movies, but when they roll out across the country. They're January movies because they tend to be a little small, just like Cold War is another mm-hmm. one. It's a December movie. Most movies of the foreign as, movies tend to roll out yeah. in January. Yeah, because you know they they release them in L.A. and New York, or I guess it's L.A. in order. To, well, and they, New York, I think it has to go both. I'm not sure, but they, well, they may release them in New York for the New York film critics, or they may release them in New York just for the national publicity mm-hmm. they get. But they absolutely have to be released in L.A. for the Academy Awards. And if it's a smaller kind of movie, like Cold War, foreign film, or Stan and Ollie, which is not going to be like this, you know, big blockbuster movie, it's best to roll them out in January because they have sort of a clear field. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that. So anyway, it's a very good movie. It's it's very um, it's it's they don't bite off more than they can chew. It's another relatively short movie. It's about uh, Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Uh, the great comedians of the silent and talkies. And uh, it's about them, though, when they were older guys, when they were in their 60s, when their careers were almost over. And this is them on their last tour through London. And it kind of um, encapsulates their whole relationship. And it's um, it, you know, it's, a, it's a very, um, it, it, without being sappy in any way, it's a rather, rather uh, sweet movie about um, about you know about getting older really. It and also has a supporting actress who you and I both really adore. Yeah, Nina Avrienda, she's always fun. <laughs> yeah, she I I loved her in um, Rob the Mob, and uh, also the one about uh, with Meryl Streep. Uh, Which one was that? It was the one where she plays. Oh, it was the Florence Jenkins, Florence Forrester Jenkins. She has a supporting role in there, and. Oh, Whenever wow. she was on the screen, that's when the movie was good. <laughs> yeah, she's always terrific. Well, she's supposed to be a, a completely amazing stage actress. I've, I've never seen, seen her. Do you have? I've saw Venus in Fur. And how was she? She was great. Yeah. That's, that's Absolutely me. great. That's what made her a star. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so that's really good. And then you brought up the Nicole Kidman movie, right. Destroyer. Talking about, talking about a great performance. Yeah. That was also actually a December movie. Mm-hmm. But in a way, it reminds me of a January movie because it's something that's that's good but has something wrong with it, which... Uh, what's or or it's almost good, or or it has something wrong with it, but it has something really good about it. The thing that's good about it is Nicole Kidman; she's great, um, and you know, playing somebody who's so you know she who, she's such a a complete mess and living with with a lot of regret and and you know just baggage. Yeah, just terrible baggage, and she looks awful and. But I, I'm not crazy about the movie. I just thought the movie kind of yeah, it's, it's dragged. A, it's For me, shame. it dragged a little. If it's a shame, and it also it was kind of convoluted, but I think if the movie had been any good that we wouldn't be talking about anybody else for Best Actress right now. Oh, well, I guess we could be well, talking. We could, but yeah. I think, I think she, would being, be, she could be a front... She would have been a front runner, I think. She would have been in more contention, I think. Mm. Yeah, because it's not a movie. And also, too, it takes a while to realize how good she is, and I can easily see mm-hmm. people watching the first 10 minutes of that movie and... Looking at her and thinking, well, you know, here's Nicole Kidman playing dress up as a complete mess. But you know that Nicole Kidman, I think she's a wonderful actress. And and the thing, one of the things I've I've liked about her virtually from the beginning, very from very early at least, is that she, you know, has this kind of porcelain 
delicate look about her, but she really, her real zone as an actress is playing people who are a little bit crazy and uh, pay, playing people who are very extreme. I'm thinking of, you know, so many movies. I mean, that movie, that Van Sant movie, uh, To Die For, Birthday, was a birthday girl, mm -hmm. where she's the mail-order bride who turns out to be completely uh, dangerous and and but just so many movies after one after the other playing just, just she's always very unexpected where she's also a character actress uh, you know where she was wonderful wonderful in the movie that she won the oscar for the hours mm -hmm. as virginia wolf virginia wolf yeah yeah i by the way i i'm i it might it, it might be me i don't know i thought she was so beautiful with the big nose in I thought she was gorgeous with the big nose in Virginia Woolf. I was just like saying, I wish she just wore this nose all the time. <laughs> I thought she was like, like better. I know they tried to like, I guess, homely her up as Virginia Woolf, but I thought, no, no, she's beautiful with the big nose. I, I don't, I don't know. It, it could have been. Just me. It could have been where I've actually seen where the inner beauty was coming out. No, it's the big yeah, nose. The no, big no, nose? it's okay. the nose. No, she just was lovely with mm -hmm. the nose. Um, because now she's she's often playing inner beauty. She was in, she in the same week as Destroyer, which was fun to see in the same week, because um, she was in the Upside, mm. in which she's playing somebody who is entirely nice. And um, but even within that, she makes nice complicated. She makes nice internal and interesting, and even vaguely turbulent and. And uh, suggests uh, nuances beneath the placid surface, but at the same time, somebody completely different than Destroyer, completely different essence, and just seems so reassuring and so open. And, and to see both both the movies at the same time, uh, you know, like within forty eight hours of each other, was just it was fun. I mean, I don't really need to be reminded how good Nicole Kidman is. But it's nice to get reminded anyway in such a forceful way. It's funny. Is I have to be reminded in some ways because I follow her outside of the movies, and I'm always going, oh, it's Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban and yeah. Tom Cruise. And then whenever I see a movie, oh, it's Nicole Kidman, they go, oh, she's really great. Same thing with Tom Cruise, actually. You know, oh, yeah. it's another Tom Cruise movie. And then I go see it, and I say, "Wow! I mean, it's it's fun. You know, he's he's actually a much better actor than you think." Yeah, he's actually a decent actor yeah. on top of doing those crazy Tom Cruise things. Yeah. Uh, I don't need to be convinced about Tom Cruise anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, when I go to a Tom Cruise movie, I just think Tom Cruise is his own quality control. It never gets bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, even a bad Tom Cruise movie is like, you know, it's like a little man interested, uh, entertain. He's never he never makes a movie that's not at least you know scrapes itself up to some level of entertainment and usually it's it's much better than that he he doesn't he rarely if ever uh, makes a bad movie I, I don't even know if he's ever made a bad movie i, I have some of the times that some of those action movies i'm a little like okay i've seen it been there done that like jack reacher yeah a little that's bit what i'm thinking there, of is like uh, just a, i'm thinking of that as like a two and a half star yeah. kind of kind of thing and, and and i should i should probably just put a period on the upside the Upside is uh, is a is a remake of a French movie, and so the usual critic thing is to say, "Oh well, you know, the French movie was better, and too bad you didn't see the French movie." And if you're any if you had any brains, you'd go see the French movie. The American movie's better. It's just better. It's <laughs> and, just better. And he's and you're in the minority. Yeah, because you know, because I know I know why I'm in the minority. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I know yeah. why I, I'm in the minority because 
Well, I mean, look, some people, I'm sure they're very sincere, but I think they also kind of, uh, they have a bias going in, and they know, they know what the intelligent choice is. But to me, the intelligent choice is the choice in favor of narrative. And, and, um, and the narrative in The Upside is, is basically taking the narrative of intuitables and fixing it. Um, I wish, okay, I'm going to tell, I'm going to, I'm going to say something for the next 45 seconds that gives away the ending of the two movies. Okay. So we're just going to do this. So we're going to start counting now. I have a stopwatch here, so I'm going to stop talking. So you could just skip ahead 45 seconds. If you really care about this, I don't think it wrecks the movie for you, but I'm just going to say one key difference. Okay. Okay. So starting now. Okay. For example, in Intouchables, he ends up, he has a blind date with the woman um, who he's been a pen pile with, and it's understood he's going to get together with her. And that doesn't really make much sense because it's a little bit hard. You know, he, he, he's, he has some really serious physical challenges. In the movie, in the American movie, they take Nicole Kidman character. They make her about 10 years older than she was in the movie, so she's more like him. And they have him end up with her at the end of the movie. And then they take that meeting up scene with the other, and they make it completely different than it was at the end of the other movie. And they make it better. And they give a great role. And now you can come back because you won't know what I'm talking about. They give a great role to um, Juliana Margulies. Uh, great, terrific one-scene role to Juliana Margulies in the American version that really doesn't exist in the French version. So many good set pieces. Basically, they, they take the French movie as a template to get ideas. Um, and, and I think that also, I think that, you know, just in a compared, you know, like, a, like a looking at the different positions on the field, uh, Francois Cluzet and uh, Brian Cranston, that's, that's like even. But Omar Sy and uh, Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart all the way. And then I forgot the name of the woman. She's actually quite good. But the the the, the played the assistant. Uh, you know, her his business is, is actually his business. The person running his business um, in the French version or Nicole Kidman. Come on, Nicole Kidman. So that a better script, better cast, and it's like ten minutes shorter. You know, it's, it's hands down. It's, it's obvious which one's better. I think. My humble opinion. Let's go to Rotten Tomatoes and check it out. Yeah, go, yeah. <laughs> I'd be really curious. You could take the Intouchables challenge. You just watch both movies and, and let me know what you think. Because um, I'd, be, I'd be curious. But I'd, I'd really be curious about your reasons. Because I don't want emails from people who just feel a certain way about themselves, that they're the person who should like French cinema. Nobody likes I, – I, I'm telling you, seriously – I, I like French cinema more than French people. I mean, I go in, I go into France. I go, I go to France. I go get a haircut. You know, like the, the you know, when I say I'm going to get a haircut, my wife says which one. But anyway, <laughs> but I go to France. I sit down to get a haircut, and I say to the guy, I'm here to interview Karen Viard, and he says, Who's Karen Viard? You know, and Karen Viard is like Meryl Streep in France. So you know. And, and he's going to American movies. And who does Karen Viard remind you of? Karen Viard in, in, in a particular movie reminded me of you, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Did you ever see the movie? No. The role of her life? Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, anyhow, so what else we got, Leba? We got Trump movies. Oh, Trump movies. So you should I talk about like the premise of the article that's going to be appearing 
on uh, what's the date? Well, I, it, in print, it'll appear on uh, February 3rd online. It'll be a little earlier. Okay. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Um, I guess I should say it as delicately as I say it in the article. But during times of, uh, let's see, contention uh, in American life, movies tend to get better. And, uh, you know, if you look at uh, the, the two previous great periods of, of, uh, for film, I would say it was the late silent days, which wasn't a period of contention, but that goes right into the Depression, which was a great period for movies. And then, of course, the late 60s and most of the 70s, which is the period of the Vietnam War and of Watergate and inflation and crime. That's also a really good period for movies. And I looked up and, and, and realized that, that you know, 2018 was really good and 2017 wasn't bad. And, I, and I'm always looking for this as a critic, but I'm saying, you know, I think maybe we're entering another period of, of really good movies that are in some ways the product of a contention in our national life. Now, I should add that just because there is a, we're in a period of turmoil doesn't mean that every movie has to be about the turmoil. But it, it seems to be a kind of, um, of uh, objective phenomenon. Um, what do you call Oh, boy. I must be losing my mind. I wonder. I can't even remember the the word. What is it? it um, em, empirical. It's mm. empirical. Good. Whoa. I thought I was ending up like Julianne Moore in that movie where she couldn't remember lexicon, but I remember the word she couldn't remember, so I must be okay. But it's anyhow. It's in, it, you can empirically observe the fact that for some reason, a contentious tide lifts all boats. That for some reason, it seems ob- observably true that that. Um, that the movies get better even if the movies aren't about that. But we can see, we can observe in the case of this year that the movies were generally really good and that a lot of the movies were like, were about Trump. And these, uh, and, and they were about Trump in different ways. Um, they were about Trump. At first, if you look at the whole history of the last two years, some were about Trump accidentally. That is to say, they thought Hillary was going to win, but the movies made, meant something different in the period of Trump. So like, for example, Wonder Woman was supposed to be a victory lap, a celebration of female empowerment, and instead it became like a kind of, um, I, some, it was like aspirational, and it was uh, like a, re, a, a kind of assertion of, of female power at a time when you know women are marching on uh, Washington. Um, but then, then you had movies that were like on the books, but then they slant them in a certain way so that you get a feeling that they're kind of statements about Trump, like, like for example, Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, or a movie like Get Out felt like it was about Trump, even though that was, that was another one in the category of like Wonder Woman, because it came out too soon. They didn't know Trump was going to get elected, although probably it was vaguely in response to Trump actually being a candidate and having you know, becoming within breathing room of the presidency at all, even at the time they're making the movie. It'll be interesting to see his next movie, Us, which is, um, again, another horror movie by uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah. And the other thing, um, uh, coming up soon, and the other thing that might be really interesting to know is in Black Panther, that Coda was not there at first in the movie. Black Panther? Not Black Panther. Oh, you mean Black 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 Klansman. Black Klansman. Oh, yeah. That's That's another one. Now, that's a case of a movie that was made 
with an awareness mm. of Trump, but then something happened, and then it became retroactively a movie about yeah. Trump. And I have to say that I think that the reason why that movie is considered to be great, or at least close to great, is largely to do with that coda. And I don't think that's bad. I mean, the coda is in the movie, you know, that is part of the movie. So you get that. So And then you get movies that are overtly way, way from their, you know, inception, they're about Trump, and that'll be a movie like The Oath, which like I haven't Baron seen, Holtz. unfortunately. Yeah, uh, which, oh, you're going to like it. It's, it's, mm-hmm. Now you can see it. It's, um, it's on pay-per-view. It's on, yeah, you, you, you're going to like that movie. I know, movie. it's on my wish list. Um, yeah. The thing about, about Black Klansman was that watching that movie, I mean, if you've watched the movie, it kind of has a lighthearted feel to it, even though it's a deep subject. You know, you're kind of like going along with this guy and enjoying how he's putting the wool over him, and then you hit that coda, and it feels like you got punched in the gut. Yeah, yeah, but it also was kind of exhilarating, too, yeah, because exactly. it was like, I mean, you know, I don't know. I, I just, That's my number uh, one movie of the year. I wonder, because there are a lot of people in the United States, you know, I mean, there's, there's still, according to today's Gallup poll, you know, 37% of the American public thinks Trump is doing a good job, right? And so that's a lot of our listeners, and, and I, I'm going to be coy. I'm not going to reveal... Uh, <laughs> how I feel about it. You could just figure that out for yourself. But I just wonder how it must be like if you really love Trump, how to be, how you, you, how to, like if you're watching, how to watch movies, you love Trump, you watch movies, like how are you receiving these films? Uh, I, I would imagine maybe, I guess the people who love Trump are not going to the same movies that, that the critics are seeing and they're seeing other movies, but Maybe not. I, I don't know. But in any case, I think that Trump is helping movies um, because he's he's um, he, he's he's giving meaning to things, extra meaning to things that it, they barely have the meaning there, but they're there. They're also making um, making movies feel like they're part of a movement, almost like a movie like. Uh, like blind spotting feels like it's part of the same movement as the oath. Even though there's nothing, blind spotting was conceived like, you know, like in like 2014 or something. They were thinking about that movie. Um, and, what, and what about your and what about your um, favorite movie of the year? Uh, my favorite number movie one Vox Lux. was Vox Lux. Yeah, now I mean, yeah, Vox Lux. You know, that's a movie that that's that's a movie that's not about Trump, but it's definitely about modern life. And so it it feels like it's all of a piece with what's going on. Anyway, and it, and of course the the times the the feeling in the times the the the, the feeling that that the era produces, irrespective of how the filmmakers will necessarily feel about whoever's president, but the feeling that is emanating throughout the country, which is at least in part as the result of you know who what what the government is, is going to have an effect. And I think that. There's a feeling that that something's wrong. I think that there has been a feeling of something being wrong for a while. I think there's been a feeling of something being wrong ever since 9/11. Um, and and it's interesting to me to even to conceive of the fact that actually, if you were like 23, 24, 25, basically, it has felt like something is wrong your whole life. The guy who made Vox Lux is only 31. And in a way, it has felt like something is wrong his whole life. But I, I, I think that you can see the sense that something's wrong, that you have so many, so much, um, so many films, so much of our most supposedly lighthearted entertainment, 
during the summer depicts the destruction of our cities. They d- d- depict either dystopian visions that are po- post-apocalypse or the, po- the how we got to the apocalypse. You got alien invasion. You got all these themes that are somehow, I think, related to you know tangible themes that we have now. And I think this is only going to get worse. I just hope, I just hope that that these movies are not regarded as prophetic in the future, and that they're just regarded as, you know, like all those Japanese movies worrying about another atomic bomb happening. You know, they went through that phase, they processed their their grief and stress and terror, and then came out the other side not making those movies anymore. I'm hoping that that's what it is. Uh, otherwise, you know, I mean, you know, we're really in for it. You know, if things are as as bad as the movies seem to think they are, but I I feel like that 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 kind of nebulous sense of dread and um, vague um, alarm is now coalescing around this one guy, in a way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's and it's and as a result, it's becoming more uh, articulated. Even if it's not about him specifically, and I just think there's a very, this is, I mean, they, what is the, there's a curse. Well, I forgot my nationality is what that may you live in interesting times. Hmm. Yeah, we're living in interesting times. We're also living in interesting times for movies. For years, I envied the interesting times that other people were living in with movies. Now I'm living in those interesting times for movies, and I would go back to the '80s and '90s. In a second, I would love to have, you know, just just the boom times of the 80s and 90s. I'll tell you, Reagan, Bill Clinton, those years that we had we had problems with, you know, we, whatever it was, you know, we had reasons to complain during those years about different things. We were worried about different things. Those years to me now, and of course, you know, I'm an old guy. I'm looking back, you know, on my youth. But I look back on those years and I say, wow. I hope, I only hope that the young people now get to have, you know, those kind of times, like two decades of peace and prosperity with a little recession that happened in 1991 that we're all, all like horrible about, you know, oh, the world's coming to an end. Now that looks like, you know, you know, that's nothing. That's easy. Anyway, so much for my speech here. But, uh, Lee, do you have anything else to say? I was going to say, it's a great way to end this all. Is a good way to end? Yeah, the end is near. It's a great way to end. The end is near. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, listen, um, that's it for now. Uh, thank you for listening. If you made it this far, and I, I would re- I'd, I'd hate to think that you would skip ahead just to deceive me to get to this part, to have me thank you, but actually you wouldn't listen. So I guess you have listened this far. And for Lieber Hertz and the San Francisco Chronicle, I'm Mick LaSalle. You are listening to the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you to Mick LaSalle and Lieber Hertz. Our producer today is me, Peter Hartlob. Supervising producer is King Kaufman. Executive producer is Tim O'Rourke. And our editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. Our music is Mozart's Symphony 40 in G minor by Blue Dot Sessions. Read our columns and subscribe to the Chronicle at www.sfchronicle.com. San Francisco Chronicle podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and other streaming services. Listen at www.sfchronicle.com slash podcasts with an S.